Okay, hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Weird Tales Podcast. My name is Tycho Alhambra, thank you for listening. Um, this is a story that is a follow-on from another Lovecraft story, it's just I needed a quick story, uh, a one-shot this week, because next week uh, is May, and I'll be starting Mountains of Madness May, uh, and then in June I've got a really, really awesome episode that I'm really excited for. If you follow me on Twitter, you probably know kind of wh- what what that entails, um, but uh, otherwise... You're going to find out. Um, so uh, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. This is a story that follows on from uh, another Lovecraft story, which I did about a year ago. So if you go back in the in the archives to uh, uh, the weirdtalespodcast.podbean.com, um, if you go back about a year to National Poetry Month of last year, uh, it was done at the end of uh, March and about the first three, two or three weeks in April. So uh, go back and listen to that. Uh, if you want, don't feel you have to, and then uh, uh, go on with this, because this this is tied directly to that story. All right, here we go. Dead Media by Nick Mamatis. At Miskatonic, like most liberal arts colleges, nothing is ever thrown away, but almost everything is misfiled. Lenore Reichel was a junior and knew her way around, but she needed help for what she wanted this time, an actual dictaphone. For that, she had to appeal to Walt McDonald, the ever-present work-study student in the AV office. The trick was to figure out whether Walt was unwilling to leave his seat, or just really too stupid to know what a dictaphone was. Lenore tried bending over the desk, just showing a little bit of cleavage and most of her teeth. Her piercings glinted. She tapped the toe of her stompy boot. That got Walt away from Facebook for two seconds. Look, I don't know, he said. I did all the tagging here last year. Everything has a barcode now, and there's no code for a dictaphone. Just because there's no code for something doesn't mean it doesn't exist, Lenore said. She and Walt had shared a class last semester, semiology, which involved watching lots of television commercials. They weren't friends. The mildest of acquaintances, really. They didn't even nod to each other when they passed on the quad, but Lenore did feel comfortable using Walt's name. Walt, she continued, just because there's no signifier doesn't mean there's no referent. Walt had been in charge of the video production unit and had saved the day more than once in semiology. Come on, Lenore said. She licked her lips. Not too flirty, just more like anxious. Walt glanced back at the screen, looking at his reflection rather than the status updates of his online friends. He didn't have too many friends here in Arkham. Not a lot of black kids made it to Miskatonic, and those who did were often subtly abused and often suspected of such crimes as petty theft, affirmative action status, and facility with a basketball. Walt was too fat for basketball, too fat for Lenore. Not so fat that he had to go around doing pretty girls with purple hair special favors for no reason, though. What do you even need a dictaphone for, he asked, more to himself than to Lenore. I'm glad you asked, she said, and reached into her shoulder bag. It was an Emily the Strange thing, and what came from it was pretty strange itself. A small cylinder wrapped in yellowing paper. Is that what I think it is? Walt asked. Yes, Lenore said. It's a cylinder. The Wilmarth Cylinder. Brattleboro. The mysterious recordings of the so-called Bostonian and the Mego. And I need a dictaphone to play it, to hear the voices. This is primary source material. Oh, Walt said. He glanced at his monitor again. I thought it was something else. Anyway, yeah, that's cool, but we have MP3s of everything, so why bother? We have MP3s of DAT tapes of a cassette of reel-to-reel tapes of a 78 record of this cylinder. 
Luckily, I'm into vinyl, so I managed to work my way back through the dead media. Stuff is definitely dropping out with every generation. It's like oral folklore what's on here. It's been, you know, changed. Now Walt was interested. He shifted in the chair, held out his hand for the tube, then carefully undid some of the paper and uncapped it to peer at the wax cylinder within. All right, but you're coming with me. Four eyes are better than two. The AV archive was in a dusty Quonset hut off the library, and it was stuffed with dead and dying machines. VHS players and overhead projectors, the old analog kind with cyclopean lenses atop craning necks, shelves of slide projectors, and that just on either side of the large entrance. Walt clicked on the light and Lenore saw the problem. Floor to ceiling, desks and blown out televisions, and snake coils of coaxial cables spilling from ruined cardboard boxes. The dust was oppressive, and if there was any rhyme or reason to the storage at all, it was simple. Oldest stuff in the back. The dictaphones, if we even have any, are on the other side of this, so let's start moving stuff out of the way. There's a dolly in that corner, and we can use a few of the TV carts that still have four wheels to move shit outside. Lenore wasn't much help. She had on the sort of long lace dress Walt would call kooky, and needed to hold up the hem with one hand at all times. But boy, did she talk. I know it's all basic term paper stuff. Is the so-called Black Goat of the Woods a separate figure from Shubnagurath or not? Walt shoved some old monochrome computer monitors out of the aisle he was making and leaned in close to Lenore, just so that she could see his eyes roll. Come on, he said. Nobody knows. That's why it's a term paper topic. You can argue pro or con, and everyone knows the arguments and rejoinders and whatnot. It's a religious argument, not a real research question at this point. Not for undergrads, anyway. Wilmarth couldn't comprehend what he got on wax, so I can't imagine what sort of research you have planned to find out 80 years later. Field, Lenore said, the word rolling off her tongue tentatively. Research. Walt didn't know what to say, but he found the machine a moment later. It took some time to get the dictaphone working. Walt appropriated some copper wiring from a dead film strip projector and put Lenore to work wrapping it in insulating tape. She frowned when Walt cracked the still sleek black case to get at the innards of the dictaphone. This is totally steampunk, Lenore said. They don't make equipment like this anymore. Everything's so sleek and sterile these days. If you like vintage, you came to the right friggin' college, that's for sure, Walt said. And it was true. Miskatonic felt lived in. Every stone on the quad was worn. The lights flickered during the frequent winter storms. Monocles, sideburns, and grandfather's suit jacket, moth-bitten and frayed, were perennial student affectations. Corned beef hash and liver had regular rotations in the cafeterias. There wasn't even a single vending machine on campus. Why does anyone come here? Pfft, you know, Walt said. You have the rich idiots who couldn't get into any of the real Ivy League schools. Ninth-generation inbred legacy college Republicans. Locals from across the river the college fathers give full rides to just so nobody swims across and burns the whole place down. Californians who want to be close to skiing and... And? Lenore asked, her voice lilting as she stretched the word. She liked this. People like us. You know, people with reasons to come here. So you'll do it. Lenore didn't have a car. Walt did. I'll plug this thing in now and give it a whirl. Walt tried putting it in backwards first by mistake. Lenore had her notes with Akeley's transcript of the recording, or at least the transcript Wilmarth claimed to have received from Akeley, spread out under her palms. Walt touched the sapphire point to the cylinder. The recording was tinny and distant, more crackle than voice. Was that a Boston Brahmin chanting, Abundance to the Black Goat of the Woods! Yeah! Shubnagurath! 
The goat with a thousand young. Or a toothless old Vermonter putting on airs. Akeley himself running a scam of some sort, Walt said, but Lenore shushed him harshly. Then that inhuman buzz of a voice near chanting. And he shall put on the semblance of men, the waxen mask and the robe that hides. What a voice. Like auto-tune, a nail on a chalkboard. Walt didn't hear it so much as feel it. But then Lenore was skeptical. What if he recorded this on another dictaphone, then played it back? Wouldn't it sound all hissy and strange? They played the cylinder again, then a third time. Lenore had a pocket watch, yet another Miskatonic fad, with a second hand, and took notes with each pass. This is some wild shit, Walt said after the fourth round. But is it telling us anything? Are, are we debunkers now? Skeptics all of a sudden? Get one of the blanks. Let's try it, Lenore said. She recorded herself. The waxen mask and the robe that hides. Then played it back, recording that on her cell phone's voicemail. Then re-recorded the playback of her voicemail onto the wax cylinder. You're a freaking genius, Walt, she said, getting this thing working. Walt thought himself thinking that Lenore wasn't too shabby herself. He wanted the experiment to fail so they could do that field research so that he could spend more time with her. And it did fail. A tiny little Lenore voice with a trace of a microchip accent spilled out of the dictaphone's old speaker. No vibrato, no buzz of the sort that made Walt's molars cringe in his mouth. Oh well, Lenore said. Maybe the cave's acoustics made it easier to fake such a voice, Walt said. Why would Akeley bother telling the truth about the cave if he was running a hoax? Well, you said there were things on the cylinder, not on the MP3s, that you heard them on the old records and tapes. There is. She slid the transcript over to Walt and reloaded the Wilmarth cylinder. Listen closely. Listen past the words. Walt and Lenore shared a look. Walt, confused. Lenore, confused by his confusion. At the recording artifacts. You know, she said. With the copies, they've either been digitally erased or just degenerated beyond hearing from the process of copying. Walt got up and turned off the lights in the little office. The fluorescence, you know, he explained. Buzzing. He even turned off his computer and threw his wristwatch, yes, he still wore one as a miskatonic affectation of his own, into a desk drawer. Lenore had a keychain flashlight with which to illuminate the transcript and a purple-painted finger to follow along. And there was something there, in the opening sounds of the recording. Ye-lu-a-a-wu. Then after the hysterical and uncanny buzz of A THOUSAND YOUNG! A-i-a-ka-ta-pa! Just a little hint of, and it has come to pass, but not in that Boston accent. The Bostonian is being fed his lines? Walt asked. Sounds like it. By Akeley, or by whoever actually made the recording, or by someone standing next to him. Or maybe it's just an echo of some sort, in the cave. Again with the cave, Lenore said. But she laughed. She was a pale girl, nearly aglow in the darkened room. But maybe, she conceded. So, the original recording has a third speaker. That's great, Lenore. Senior thesis stuff, maybe. If you feed it into the right program and manage to extract it. But it's not literature. It's not a determination about Shubby and the Black Goat. Lenore snorted at Shubby. One more time, she said, and reset the point on the cylinder. This time, just thanks to expectations, Walt heard the other human speaker, and he heard something else. Some of the hisses and crackles themselves seemed to be phonemes now, stage-whispered prompts or at least preliminary throat clearings from beings beyond the stars. Ahem, ahem, Walt said. 
Do these things, if there were any, even have throats? Here is my proposal, Lenore said. She shot up from her seat and reached for the light switch herself. There were other speakers. Let's assume that just for now. At least one other human speaker, be it Akeley himself or a confederate or who knows. Many people have tried to determine who the Bostonian was, but maybe he's not important. Maybe he was just an actor who was just fed lines by someone else. I say we head to Vermont and find that person or, or traces of the same. Field research, she said. And then just ask him if Shubnaguroth is the black goat of the woods with its thousand young? Walt asked. Of course not. But we've already expanded the number of people who knew what was going on from two to three. That means that there may have been more. There still may be more. So come on. You know I'll say yes, Walt said. He was always being tapped for favors by non-drivers, but mostly just to the local packy for party supplies. But what were you going to do if I said no? Lenore shrugged. Like you said, I knew you'd say yes. And if you didn't, Peter Pan to Boston, then Amtrak to Vermont, I guess. She glanced away from him. Walt spun in his chair and typed something on his keyboard. I'll take tomorrow off. No, thank you, easy labor. Now check Google Calendar. Okay, I'm free. We can go. Now, Lenora said. <laughs> Walt laughed. <laughs> well, the stars are right. You know it, kiddo, she said. It was a tedious two-hour trip across the top of Massachusetts to southern Vermont. At night, the trees are black and the highway stuffed with tractor trailers. Walt idly wondered if Lenore planned on killing him in Brattleboro, but decided against it. She wanted a ride, after all. How would she get rid of the car, get back to campus? And the great mess they left from burrowing through the supply hut of old AV equipment would be a great clue in itself. Fingerprints everywhere in the dust, the friggin' dictaphone, half-gutted and left on the workbench. He had nothing to worry about, he decided, this time. In general, though, for students like Walt and Lenore, those few who came to Miskatonic for reasons, a bit of curricular violence was never far from their minds. Do you have to pee? I'll pee in Vermont, Lenore said. I've never peed in Vermont. It's good to have dreams and accomplish them, Walt said. We're going to run out of shitty mill towns to turn off onto in a few minutes, though, so if you wanted to pee... Do you want to pee? Lenore asked. Or did you just want to visualize my vagina somehow and let me know you were doing so? Walt laughed. You have a mouth, woman. Lenore arranged her Emily the Strange purse on her lap for the millionth time. Right outside Brattleboro, they stopped at a motel and spent the night tiptoeing around one another in their separate beds around the door of the tiny bathroom. Neither had brought a change of clothes, but Brattleboro was full of used bookstores and people who shopped at the food co-op and places like Save the Corporations from themselves. Hemp clothing for ugly girls, Lenore declared as they walked up Main Street the next morning, so they weren't out of place, not Lenore in her lace or Walt in his oversized sweatshirt and low-riding jeans. Think the town's changed much? Lenore asked. Then she nodded at a news rack. The reformer is still publishing. I saw a building dedicated to milk cows, and there was that truck full of lumber rattling down High Street, Walt said. But yeah, this place is fucked up. One-third hick, one-third yuppie, one-third dirty hippie. So, anyway, what's the deal, Mrs. Peel? Huh? Your plan. Field research, remember? We didn't drive two hours to have smoothies for lunch and go back home. Walt pulled out his phone and tried to call up a map of the environs, but didn't get any service. What the... no bars... Verizon only around here, some too helpful old-timer in coveralls called out as he passed by. Happens all the time to the casual trade. Lenora turned on her heel and walked after him. Excuse me, she called out. Uh, where might someone new to town find goats? For what? 
the man said, his vowels flat. Now he was suspicious. He looked past the purple porcupine spikes of Lenore's haircut to take in Walt. Not a good idea to go around upsetting livestock, especially other people's. It's for an art project, Lenore said. She made a little gesture at her own clothing. Just pictures, Walt said. To Lenore, he added, we'll have to find a drugstore and get a map, and a disposable film camera, too. The old-timer recommended the price chopper. Choppa, he said it. And then beyond that, there was indeed a goat farm. Then he nodded and continued his walk. Weird, Walt said. Why is that weird? It's weird because it's not weird, if you know what I mean, Walt said. Well, Lenore said, remember, the whole thing with Wilmarth could have been a hoax. There's almost too much evidence. The cylinder, the newspaper articles, letters. If all this stuff happened here, why isn't it mainstream science or literature? So maybe this isn't weird because there's nothing to be weird about. Walt just gawked openly now as they walked back to the car, looking for something, and he found it in the public parking lot behind the shops of Main Street on the side of a dumpster. Good enough rubbish removal. The price chopper was easy enough to find, and maps were plentiful there. There was even a phone book available at the customer service desk, but it wasn't necessary because the answer was right there. Good enough road, as in, Akeley's son, George Goodenough Akeley, Lenore said. As in Akeley's son... George Goodenough Akeley, Lenore said. Well, they've been breeding, I suppose, Walt said. It was a sunny day, and Goodenough was sufficiently winding to be interesting, lined with tangles of trees. Where are we going, for real? Yeah, Lenore said, maybe we should stop and buy a gun. There are no gun control laws in Vermont. We can go in strapped. Walt glanced over sidelong. Ever fire a gun? I've never been motivated to even touch one before. It's just, you know, again with the lip her teeth clicking. She was eager for something. Right, it's a road on a map mentioned in the documents. We could end up at a goat farm at the end of a long line of Japanese tourists and fat gamers looking for something real. Exactly. Where we're headed, there's either nothing important at all or something so horrific that, she gulped, nobody has ever returned. Lenore rolled her eyes at herself. Does this look like a farm? Walt nodded out the window. Hey, a cow. Lenore glanced over. City boy, that's a friggin' horse. In the city, garbage hauling firms are all mafia. Maybe that's why anyone else who ever had the idea to check out good enough never came back. Hey, a goat, Lenore said. The fence stretched on endlessly somehow, and the mud of spring was thick under Walt's feet. Tired of looking for a gate or door, he made a brace with his hands and boosted Lenore over, then popped up atop the gate and with some struggling managed to swing his heavy legs over. Now we're breaking and entering for the sake of scholarship and hijinks, she said. It's so sunny today, I just feel like nothing can go wrong. The air isn't like this by the Miskatonic River. Yeah, I guess no cotton mill spent 80 years dumping poison into the local water table, Walt said. Anyway, about the cylinder. Mm Mm-hmm. She was already striding toward the far-off end of the field, kicking up those knees. How did you get it? Where did you find it? Lenora turned to look over her shoulder. Jealous or suspicious? Incredulous, Walt said. It's weird. I was looking for something else and came across it in the library, Lenore said. Let's play pretend. You're Wilmarth. Okay, I'm Wilmarth. Akeley goes missing, but you've just talked to him. You rush home and write up a monograph. You even make a note of having retained your flashlight and revolver and suitcase. And so how come I didn't snatch up a little canister with the word Akeley written on the side too? You know, have something to show later to prove my claims? Right, and the talking machine. Clearly, on a literary level, it was just Wilmarth taking a look at a dictaphone and a wax cylinder and thinking, 
What if this office equipment was crazy alien technology? What would that look like? How would it end up on Earth and what would it do? So, assume that. What's Shubnagurath and the Black Goat of the Woods? One thing, or maybe two things. Maybe he gets some students from the theater department together, feeds them lines as he's recording just for kicks or for some kind of literary immersion to create a faux document that gives his story more authenticity, more verisimilitude. Like an arg, Walt said. Arr, Lenore repeated. She was only half joking. One of her boots had sunk into the sod. An alternate reality game. Internet games that bleed over into real life with phone numbers that really work. Things you can find in real life. Actual people to talk to who give you clues as to the next step. They're huge, Walt said. They usually just tie into some movie or TV show, but really people are playing args all around us. Well, sure, maybe it's just like an arg, or maybe we'll just go into that farmhouse and some kind old lady will offer us lemonade and tell us about the pet black goat her mother had as a little girl. Lenore shook the mud from her boot and trotted, bored of Walt now. Trotting up to the farmhouse and its adjacent greenery, she even muttered, Shrub nigger. Could that be the secret within the old Akeley farmhouse? Nope. It was a man with a shotgun leveled at her on the other side of the screen, and when the fat kid pounded up the three steps of the porch to give Lenore a piece of his mind, the old man covered Walt with the gun, too. So, here's what happened. I found the same dictaphone cylinder Lenore did back in 1977. It was really something. Like I said before, some kids attend Miskatonic for reasons, and I was one of them. I wanted to know what was going on behind the veil, as it were. I was just a mass of pimples and stringy hair named Marie Anne and not into anything girls were supposed to be into, and even women's liberation didn't change that. The boys in my classes were also competitive and as sexist as anything. So when I found the cylinder, I listened to it till I'd memorized every audio element, every exhalation and smack of the Bostonian's lips. I even figured out how to do the Mego voice. It's easy enough, just a paper and comb kazoo. Practice enough with it and you can sing dialogue that sounds uncannily like some sort of vaguely insectoid alien. But I didn't want anyone else to find the cylinder, and I couldn't bring myself to destroy such an artifact. So when I returned it to the campus library, I did so unofficially by placing it on a random shelf in the stacks. It's easy enough to find the Akeley farm. Wilmarth, who was still alive and teaching a course every semester when I was a student, practically appended directions to his syllabus at the beginning of every semester. He'd made an agreement, you see, with Amigo. They're from Tyche, a great gas giant in the Oort cloud. A cold and slushy minor planet like Pluto could never support intelligent life, but in the lower depths of a Jupiter-like planet, atmospheric conditions are right for life. Think of jellyfish hundreds of times the size of blue whales floating in the hot clouds for thousands of years, riding storms older than human civilization. And inside those huge gas bag beings is... Another kind of it. And inside those huge gas bag beings is another kind of ecosystem, one in which smaller, harder creatures evolved. They were born and died in the hundreds of generations in the bellies of these city sized jellyfish, and then they finally pierced the membrane of their host organism and were exposed to the elements of Tyche. They were torn to shreds by the winds. Gas giants are mostly hydrogen, of course, but life will out, and so will intelligence. The harder creatures, the fungal crustacean Migo, learn to communicate with one another across long distances over the roar of the endless storms of Tyche, with a form of hypersonic communication that bordered on telepathy. The mind was elevated to the center of Migo civilization, but they were a lonely race. 
The only other form of life on the planet was the gas bag jellyfish in which they lived, like Escherichia coli in the hot guts of an earth mammal. People used to think the earth was alive and called her Gaia, worshipping her in mud-soaked and blood-drenched pagan rites. But imagine knowing that the thing in which you lived was alive and without any form of intelligence. How lonely would you be if you couldn't even pretend that you were anything other than a speck in a blob floating along on the chaotic and deadly winds of a planet hidden a quarter of a light year from its sun? Lonely enough indeed. So the Migo reached out to find new life, new minds, and they've been collecting us for quite a while. Such a long while. Lenore and Walt found out what they wanted to know, just as I did back in 77. Of course, there's no such thing as a brain canister. Someone was probably eating too much expired pork brains from rusty cans when he came up with such a ludicrous idea. The mind is nothing but a system of electrochemical responses embedded in a network of cells and gaps. Easy to copy, to record onto a new medium, like the medium of a gas bag membrane. And that's where we are now. I'm here, Lenore's here, and so is Walt. In our new body, we're immortal and the constant focus of the attentions of the Migo. It took me such a long time to learn to communicate with them. But they're patient. Long lived, anyway, though I've had a dozen generations die and absorb them. They spirited me away from my human body. It's only fair that I gain my sustenance from breaking down their corpses, from eating them. The Migo have even picked up the idea of religion from the human minds they study. Death is a quaint ritual now. They tear their dead apart and smear their innards against my inner membrane to encourage decomposition and ingestion. And they sing when they do it. The Migo also go to war. Gas bag against gas bag. In fact... I killed Walt and Lenore just now. Now is a relative term, I admit. Time's very different out here with our 6,000-year solar revolutions and endless, changeless lives. Of course we go to war. We're human, and we have nothing else to do but fight over the only commodity we have. Our lives, ourselves, our memories. And the Migo live to please. I liked Walt and Lenore. They were like me. Homo sapiens sapiens. Anglophones, Americans. They drove cars and drank tonic as I did. Walked across the Miskatonic University quad on crisp winter nights, the snow like mounds of sparkling diamonds on either side of the cobblestone paths. It's been such a long time since I'd met someone so much like me. I barely recognize most of the humans encoded upon the medium of a gas bag's membrane I come across these days. It's been three million years the green mountains of Vermont have long since fallen to dust, but there's still a little something on the spot of the Akeley Farm a few feet above sea level that attracts the tiny, hairless, and half-witted daughter species as different from my human life as Australopithecus afarensis is. It was so good to encounter the gas bags encoded with Walt and Lenore, to have my Migo tear into them, to drink their memories, and for a moment remember what it was like to have limbs, to breathe air, to say words I know with a human jaw. I hope I find some more like them soon. Soon is a relative term. But I am patient and old.
Thank you for listening to the Weird Tales podcast this week. As you always do, I really appreciate uh, I really appreciate you keeping up and following along. I uh, I know I came to the uh, conclusion yesterday that there's not a lot of people who like Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats as much as I do. I quite like Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats, and I thought more people would, but apparently people don't. And I'm really sorry about that. Um, but like I said at the beginning, H.P. Lovecraft really liked cats. And um, I don't think they're bad poems, but apparently other people do. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so I'm sorry if this has just been a bummer of a month for you. Uh, I actually had a really good idea for what to do for uh, National Poetry Month next year. So I'm already starting to plan that out. And I even have what I'm going to do for National Poetry Month in 2022. Because it just it, it occurred to me last night and I was like, ah, oh, done. Nailed it. Got it. So that's going to be, um, that's going to be fun for me and I hope you all enjoy it. Um, this is the last, uh, normal episode of this month. And then starting in May, we're going to be doing mountains of madness. May we're going to go through the whole novel over the course of May. So thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. I really, um, I'm really thankful for everybody who listens and everybody who follows along. Um, please feel free to follow me on Twitter at weird tales pod. You can email me the weird tales podcast at gmail.com. Please feel free to leave me a rating and a review uh, where on your whatever of choice. And uh, I will see you next week. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Here's the bloops. Hold on, i got to get my books in place. My books are not in place. How can I keep my arms where I need them to be if my books are not in place? I had to move everything around here. And it's all, it's all weird now. It's like oral folk... It's like oral folklore. Wow, that's hard to say. Oral folklore. Wow. It's like oral folklore. <laughs> See, you can't folklore. Oral folklore. It's like oral folklore. What's on here? It's like oral folklore. What's on here? Do you want to pee? Lenore asked. Or did you just want to... forgot that this part was in here i'm really sorry everybody but this is a word it's a word it's a genetic word it's a scientific word here we go i'm sorry everyone you're gonna have to deal with it do you want to pee lenore asked arg lord arg lord lenore her name is lenore arg lenore repeated trotting up to the farmhouse and its adjacent greenery she even I just, this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. Trotting up to the farmhouse and its adjacent greenery, she even muttered, Shrubnik. The only other form of life on the planet was the gas bag jellyfish in which they lived, like Escherichia coli in the hot guts of an earth mammal. I probably totally mangled that pronunciation. Sorry.